A few years back, my friend Justin Warner from Food Network moved out to South Dakota. He opened a ramen joint, and he is always posting pictures of all the great food he's not only cooking, but eating all over South Dakota. He's always telling me to come visit. And you know, one of the best ways to experience a new place is to eat your way through it. But it's equally important to live your way through it, too. And when you summer in South Dakota, you can fill up on all the lake days, hikes, rides, and small-town strolls that'll leave you with a regained sense of wonder and a hunger to do it all over again. See why there's so much South Dakota, so little time at Travel South Dakota. Hey everyone, it's Dan, and today we're launching something really special. It's a brand new podcast called Deep Dish. It's part detective show, part quest through history, and part cooking class. And I'm so excited about the hosts, our old friends, Sola and Ham El Whaley. You've heard them here on the show before. Ham and Sola are a husband and wife team. They're both chefs, recipe developers, and YouTube stars. You might have seen their New York Times cooking videos. Sola also has a YouTube series for History Channel called Ancient Recipes. And her first cookbook, Start Here, was just named one of the best cookbooks of 2023 by the New York Times. Now, in each episode of Deep Dish, you'll hear the surprising story behind a food and get a window into how Sola and Ham think about cooking. Make sure you listen all the way to the end to hear Sola and Ham whip up a recipe inspired by the dish they're learning about. And you can find that recipe on their Instagrams and mine. This first season of Deep Dish will be four episodes, and all four episodes will appear right here in the Sporkful feed over the next month. So please open up your podcasting app, go to the Sporkful page, and click follow or subscribe or favorite or whatever it is in your app. That way you won't miss any episodes of Deep Dish or the Sporkful. You can do it right now while you're listening. Thank you. Now, the Sporkful presents Deep Dish with Sola and Ham. The kind of food the kids are into is when you take a tortilla put stuff on the four different quadrants and fold it up. You know what I'm talking about? I know about? exactly what you're talking that's, about. That's, oh, I'm, look at me, I'm such a cook. Do you remember that casserole dish filled with raw dry pasta, a block of feta cheese in the middle, <laughs> and then you throw that in the oven? If you're throwing a whole block of feta in a casserole dish and surrounding it with stuff and then throwing it in the oven and call yourself some kind of chef, you're a disgrace. That is the most <laughs> offensive example of cooking that I have probably ever seen in my entire life. None of us want anything to do with you. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Learn how learn a skill. Make a tamale. Welcome to Deep Dish, the show where we do deep dives on dishes we love and then we cook them. I'm Sola. And I'm Ham. We're married. And we're chefs. We nerd out on food together all day long. And we love learning about the stories behind different dishes and ingredients. Now we're going to do all that nerding out on this podcast. In each episode of Deep Dish, we'll deep dive into the story behind the food. Then we'll head home to our kitchen and see what we feel inspired to cook up. Today's story, two dead bodies and a trunk full of tamales. Sola. Have you ever heard the story about the blues musician who sold his soul to the devil? <laughs> no. No? uh uh-uh. As the legend goes, Robert Johnson was this young man from rural Mississippi, and he really wanted to be this, like, amazing blues musician. But unfortunately, like many people with dreams, he did not have the skills to back <laughs> it up. So in 1930, he went to a crossroads in Clarksdale, Mississippi, and he made a deal with the devil. And after making this deal with the devil, he became one of the most influential bluesmen around. He was just a guitar-picking fiend. (laughs) You know what the price was? His soul. Whoa. What makes this even more 
incredible is that he only recorded a handful of songs. And one of those songs is about tamales. The song is about hot tamales, to be exact. And until recently, I just assumed that these were a spicier version of Mexican tamales. But boy, was I wrong. It turns out hot tamales, also known as Delta tamales, are a unique dish that comes from the Mississippi Delta. They basically break all the rules that I know for making Mexican tamales. There's lots of variations on traditional Mexican tamales, but there are a few basic rules that they all follow. One, tamales are made with masa. And masa at its core, it's made from dried field corn cooked in a basic solution, usually made from calcium hydroxide, and then ground into this wet dough known as masa. Two, if you add meat as a filling, that meat is usually braised or stewed. Three, the tamales are steamed in water. They end up firm enough that you can eat them with one hand, and it's a great walking snack. Delta tamales basically say, to hell with your rules. <laughs> Delta tamales can be made with masa or regular old cornmeal. That's crazy. I'm just getting started. Uh -huh. I'm just getting started. Filling. It's usually this, like, ground meat mixture closer to a chili. So you got, like, a chili vibe inside of your cornmeal. And most importantly, Delta tamales are either steamed or poached in a broth. And what you get is a wet, soft tamale that really captures and soaks up the flavor of the broth it's cooked in. Mm. And in Clarksdale, where Robert Johnson met the devil, there's a tamale maker named Charles Sledge. People come from all over the country to eat his tamales. And he's got a pretty crazy story about how he got into the business in the first place. For Charles, this tamale journey begins with his grandfather. My grandfather was a big-time gambler here, man. This dude got banned from all the casinos here, man, because he knew how to count cards. It was just impossible how he did the stuff he did. I mean, he told us once that, man, he sold his soul to the devil. A lot of people sell their soul to the devil in this region. How, how does one offer up their soul? I don't know, but I would love another bedroom <laughs> and a full-size fridge. It's a low bar. <laughs> Charles's grandfather was getting kicked out of all these casinos, so he had to find other places to gamble. He used to go to these uh, the hole-in-the-wall type clubs at night, mm -hmm. and man, they used to have tamales, man, and he'll bring some home when he'd make it back in, and I'd be up waiting on him to come in. And uh, that's how I got to learn, you know, to love tamales, man, through my grandfather. He used to bring them home all the time. So what's the backstory behind these tamales? How did they get developed in the first place? So there, there are a couple of stories floating around. One is that it's based on a cornmeal dish that enslaved Africans made in the South. Another one is that there's a Native American cornbread, which I know you're familiar with already. Yeah, um, we made it for the History Channel and Ancient Recipes. It's the original cornbread, and it's just a big wheel of masa that's wrapped in husks and boiled. But the most common story is that in the 1900s, Mexican migrants came to the South to work the cotton fields, and they brought their tamales with them. Black sharecroppers, who were also working the fields alongside them, they got interested in these tamales and then started making changes and tweaks to the recipe to suit their own tastes. So while the Delta tamale originated with the Mexican tamales, it's kind of morphed into a very black Southern food. 
Greenville, Mississippi named itself the hot tamale capital of the world in 2013. So is this a dish that's everywhere in the Delta? Are there like hot tamale joints on every corner in the area? No, it's kind of the opposite. It seems like there's fewer and fewer people making and selling hot tamales in the Delta. So it's not guaranteed that they'll be around forever. Back to Charles Sledge. Charles grows up and joins the Clarksdale police force. But tamales are always like occupying the back of his mind. He really wants to learn how to make them, but he never has the time. So it's just this idea in the back of his head and it just keeps growing and nagging at him. And so it's always there. There's That's like a little tamale spirit calling to him. Calling to him. His whole life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I started trying to make the tamales by hand. Uh, man, it was all wrong, man. I'm <laughs> talking about the masa taste like cornbread and the meat <laughs> mixture was almost good. And I'm like, nah, there's something wrong with this, man. So when Charles first started dipping his toe into the tamale world, he would go to different places and ask people how to, like, just, you know, how they made their tamales or what was in their broth. But it's very tough to get people to give up their tamale recipes. It was a guy who used to sell tamales here, man. He had the best round here. I just, he, his, his was the only ones I would buy. So I went to that fellow one time, man, and asked him, man, man, can you show me how to make this, this broth? He would not tell me, and he changed the subject on me, man. Really? <laughs> Keep keeping that, keeping that a secret like the colonel. Yeah, it's a secret, man. So Charles understood why no one wanted to share their top secret Delta tamale recipes. But at the same time, he was really starting to worry that the hot tamales wouldn't get passed down and would eventually just not exist anymore. There was no one passing them on because they were holding on to them so tightly. The guy that uh, used to make them here, mm-hmm. who I used to get mine from, he left. He he moved away. And the other guy that used to fix them, he died. So it was no more good tamales. Oh, so you so had to I learn had to, to make them yourself. I had to learn to make them because I like them, man. Without them two people here, it, you couldn't get them. So I had to learn how to make them. So there's a big moment in his life that kind of really kick-started his tamale making. He's been a cop for around four years. And Christmas Eve, 2008, he gets a call on the radio. It was a car driving uh, on the wrong side of the bypass, had just left Shady Nook service station off the highway. The car was driving along the wrong side of the highway. So it's a pitch black night and there are no lights over the highway. So this is a highway that's completely dark. And we tried to catch up with this guy, man, or get him stopped, but we couldn't make it because he was already, you know, headed down the bypass. And um, we couldn't catch up with him before he collided. It hit another car head on, man. That is a bad accident. Yeah. That is a really, really bad accident. I was like the first one to arrive on the scene. Um, it, 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 it It was rough, man. It was, the motor had been pushed in the inside of the car. The two people in the car that was driving on the wrong side of the road, they they both were alive in there. Uh, but the other car that was headed toward Memphis, both of those people died. So the people who were hit, the ones who didn't do anything wrong, they were the ones who died. When Charles inspects the accident a little closer, he sees something new, something that he's never seen at a crime scene before. 
So once I uh, went to the other car, the car where the people had died, um, I was shining my flashlight, you know, in the car, man. And uh, man, it was hot tamales scattered all over that car. Like bloodstained tamales strewn all over the road. I mean, tamales was everywhere, all over the car. It was just strange. I'd never seen anything like that. This was Christmas? This was Christmas Eve. If the car was full of tamales, they had plans. Yeah, they're going somewhere. They're going to a party to celebrate Christmas. So it's really dark, and Charles is investigating the crime scene, and he's got a flashlight, and he's kind of shining it around everywhere to see what else he can find. And then Charles sees something else on the floor of the car. It's a business card. It was Tio Carlos Tamale Machine. And that's a company in Texas that sells tamale-making machines. I took pictures of the, the scene. And one day, man, I was sitting in my office and just going through the, the, the pictures. I said, well, let me call this place and see how much this machine costs. He's like, hey, let's make tamales. Mm-hmm. Let's make them. Let, That's not where my like, head would he's go. He's like, interesting. Look at this factory. Let me let me give him a call. I may never eat a tamale again <laughs> if I see that. Well, Charles told me that he'd seen a lot of accidents over his career. You know, you can get used to anything, huh? Can, it, that's really what it shows you. Yeah. And he ends up ordering a tamale machine for $630. The machine is called Tamale King. The machine is called Tamale King. Yes. Wow. So he orders it, and when he hangs up the phone, he thinks, Man, I'm going to be the Tamale King around here. <laughs> <laughs> Does he have a crown? I don't know. Maybe we should send him one. We got to send him a crown we'll made out him, of husks. We'll send him a crown. He sounds really excited. Oh, he loves tamales. How big is this machine? Let's take a look. Oh. I got a I got a picture of it right here. Oh, it's not that big. It's, it's like a tabletop big. situation. It's it's like a little bigger than a sausage stuffer. Mm-hmm. And it has two cylinders. One you fill with your masa, the other one you fill with your filling. So there's this big cylinder at the top and like what the outer ring has the masa, the inner ring has the meat, and then you crank and it comes together. Exactly. Exactly. Let's get one. That's cool, right? I think we could do a lot with this. Not just tamales. We could do stuffed gnocchi. Uh Uh-huh. Ooh, ooh, like stuffed sausage. Like, you know when you do sausage with like another meat inside, almost like a ballantine? Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. So I I see your eyes are wide with excitement. And imagine if I could just make my own tamales. I I feel really connected to Charles because I'm always frustrated that I cannot find a good tamale in New York. It's very, very hard. And I usually end up making them for myself, and it takes forever— and we end up packing the freezer, and then once we eat through them, I'm sad again. They're gone. You have to wait until the next time the urge comes to make tamales. But with this, I feel like I could bust out tamales every weekend. And that's exactly what Charles finds, too. He can use this machine to make lots of tamales in a short amount of time. The perfect tool for someone who wants to start a tamale business on the side. But first, Charles has to get the recipe right. And to do that, he needs some help. I went to my grandmother, man, and she kind of pointed me in the right direction. She told me how much of this to put in it, how much of that to put in it. Charles's grandmother is from Mexico, and she had experience making Mexican tamales. It was his grandfather that brought him the buckets of tamales and his grandmother that helped him refine his recipe. That's like 
There's a lot of culture there, There's a, lot a lot of history. Of, a lot of history and a lot of close family ties. So his grandmother helps him with the general tamale making mm-hmm. and also helps teach him the proper proportions of seasoning. The cumin, the number one seasoning that make a tamale taste like a tamale. Mm-hmm. She told me how much of that to put in my mixture. And man, when I did that, it just totally changed it. So Charles spends two years working on this recipe in his garage, perfecting the spice blend, getting the broth exactly right, and people start taking notice. Everybody that ate them, they were like, man, these good. (laughs) Then my coworkers started telling me, man, you need to start selling these. And uh, that's when I started, man. I started my little business. Coming up, Charles starts a tamale business. And when he wants to take it to the next level, inspiration comes from another fateful police call. Ooh, advertisements. Yummy. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, a business tripper, or a long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. They've got over 7,000 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels, and you will get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. I especially love those Cambria Hotels. They have locally inspired hotel bars with all kinds of specialty cocktails, downtown locations right in the center of all the action. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces. That way, if you're a business traveler, you'll be able to get all your work done. On-site restaurants, fantastic. And then at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles and great pools for the whole family and spacious rooms. I mean, if you have kids, you understand the importance of the pool. If you stay at a hotel with a pool, Almost nothing else matters. Fortunately, all the Choice Hotels take care of all the other stuff too, but I mean, a pool is a great start. Whatever kind of vacation you're going on, whatever kind of travel you're doing, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Meet the next generation of podcast stars with Sirius XM's Listen Next program, presented by State Farm. As part of their mission to help voices be heard, State Farm teamed up with Sirius XM to uplift diverse and emerging creators. Tune in to Stars and Stars with Isa as host Isa Nakazawa dives into birth charts of her celeb guests. This is just the start of a new wave of podcasting. Visit statefarm.com to find out how we can help prepare for your future. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I'm Ham. And I'm Sola. Welcome back to Deep Dish, our collaboration with our friends at the Sporkful Food Podcast. If you're new to the Sporkful, we hope you'll listen to some of their episodes right here in the same feed as Deep Dish. Check out Dan's recent conversation with our friend Yawande Komolafe. She came to the U.S. from Nigeria for college, but lost her visa because of a clerical error. For years, she felt like she had to hide parts of herself and her food for fear of being outed as undocumented. And because of her status, she couldn't go back to Nigeria for years. It all culminates with her new cookbook, but there are so many twists and turns along the way. Hear Yawande's story in the Sporkfuls episode, Rediscovering Nigeria by Becoming American, from October. So back to the story of Charles Sledge in Clarksdale, Mississippi. He's selling tamales out of his garage, and he knew he needed to get these tamales to the people. 
He needed to take his tamale business to the next level. So much like he discovered his first piece of equipment from a police call, the tamale machine, he gets his next piece of equipment kind of in the same way. Charles has like some some good police call luck. <laughs> One day, a horse got loose in a horse pasture. <laughs> Is he supposed to chase the horse down? Well, his job was to let people know that there was a loose horse. Can horses do a lot of them. damage? Is and it like a loose lion? Well, they can run in the road and like get themselves killed and potentially someone driving a car. We ended up going over there trying to let the cars know that, hey, it's a horse out, so be careful. And waiting on the owners to come put the horse back in. This reminds me of when I used to work at an animal shelter and sometimes a dog would get out. Mm-hmm. Especially would you call the cops? No, <laughs> we did not call the cops, but we would just start screaming, loose dog, loose dog. <laughs> to alert everyone? Uh-huh. So he goes out to let people know that there's this loose horse, and then he goes to the pasture to just wait for the owner, and then he sees it. While over there, I seen this pop-up camper laying in the horse pasture, man, and I'm like, man, I can make a food trailer out of that thing. So I ended up calling the guy, man, and he sold that thing to me for like $700. I brought that thing home, man, and uh, I gutted it out. And my father came over, man, and stood it out, and we walled it off. And when I got through with it, man, it looked like a commercial kitchen in there. It shows how important it is to be focused about one thing. If you are focused and have your goals in mind at all times— then opportunities will present themselves in places places that you wouldn't notice them before. Because if he wasn't thinking about tamales and was just thinking about, oh, man, I can't believe I have to take care of this horse, (laughs) he wouldn't have noticed this trailer. (laughs) Whatever happened to the horse? I imagine that the horse was found. (laughs) You don't know. (laughs) It's 2011. Charles has perfected his tamale and broth recipes. And his food trailer is ready to go. And, and I named it Fat Daddy. That was my nickname my uncle gave me when I was a little boy. <laughs> Charles parks his trailer by the side of a main road, not far from the crossroads in Clarksdale that Robert Johnson visited nearly a century ago. I was a police officer still, and I had my police radio in the trailer with me just listening to the traffic. And man, one night, <laughs> the uh, one officer got on the radio said, uh... Why is the traffic bagged up? Uh, something happened on the highway? They were like, no, nah, there's sledge up there. That's them customers up there trying to get some food from them. I had the red light blocked. And man, I'm talking about it was cars down the highway, man, trying to get something to eat from my little homemade pop-up stand, man. <laughs> but a year later, things get tough for Charles. In 2012, he gets promoted to investigator. And suddenly he's on call a lot more. It's busy here, man. All kind of crime happen. Oh, really? So, yeah, you be on call all the time, man. So I couldn't go out and sell food because somebody probably got murdered or something. But this new job is taking up all of his time. He doesn't have time to go around selling tamales anymore. In 2014, he sells the trailer. He goes back to selling tamales out of his garage as a side hustle. His wife and son help make the tamales every week. And every Saturday afternoon, people come from all over town to buy his tamales. Soon, word spreads, and he's getting people coming from all parts of Mississippi, Arkansas, and Tennessee. Finally, in 2020, Charles is able to do something he's wanted to do for years. He retires from the police force. And he buys a legit food truck. 
which allows him to sell tamales full-time. Now Charles isn't just the police detective who sells tamales on the weekends. Now, Charles is the tamale king. <laughs> What's really cool about Charles's food truck is he doesn't just limit himself to tamales either. It's very much a food truck for the people, for the neighborhood, for his community. So he makes birria tacos with consomme. Oh. He also huh. makes burgers. He makes fries. He makes Indian food. And he even says there's like a big Arab population in the area, which I had no idea about. So he even serves shawarma-ish type things for him. And he also has a regional specialty, something I'd never even heard of before called Kool-Aid pickles. That's something that the blacks started here in the South, man. Okay. Um, you, you mostly used to get that from pregnant women. You oh. know, they have those <laughs> different type of appetites. We need to stop the pregnant women's slander. I didn't crave one weird thing when I was pregnant. I don't know. I don't what, know. What do you mean? I, I, I feel What's like, the weird thing I feel I like waking up in cold sweats <laughs> because you need a Krispy Kreme vanilla donut at 333 no, in the I morning. Didn't do that. Is, is <laughs> it was nothing weird. It's like Krispy Kreme, McDonald's French fries, and Captain Crunch. I would want those things normally. Okay, anyway, so tell me about these pickles. You take a jar of whole pickles. You cut them into quarters, and then you make a batch of Kool-Aid, and then you store the pickles in the Kool-Aid. But Charles was adamant. He was very specific that you could only use one type of Kool-Aid flavor for the Kool-Aid pickles. Tropical Punch. Tropical Punch, okay. It so, got to be Kool-Aid and not Flavor-Aid brand. It got to be Kool-Aid. So you got sour pickles with sweet Kool-Aid. I wonder if it has kind of like a... Candy vibe, then. Like a sweet and sour type of thing. Like sweet and sour, that McDonald's sweet and sour chicken nugget sauce. He does not eat them. He's not a big fan of them, but he says the people that do like them go crazy for him. Huh. Well, now I really, really want to try this tamale. Well, I've got good news for you. We found a way for him to ship some over all the way from Mississippi to our freezer. Wow. So we'll get to try some. From the Mississippi Delta from, to New York City. We've got a, a sack. I wonder if this is going to be my new favorite tamale. Coming up, we'll find out. Plus, I'll make a dish inspired by Charles's story. Stick around. Ooh, advertisements. Yummy. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Meet the next generation of podcast stars with Sirius XM's Listen Next program, presented by State Farm. As part of their mission to help voices be heard, State Farm teamed up with Sirius XM to uplift diverse and emerging creators. Tune in to Stars and Stars with Isa as host Isa Nakazawa dives into birth charts of her celeb guests. This is just the start of a new wave of podcasting. Visit statefarm.com to find out how we can help prepare for your future. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Welcome back to Deep Dish. Hey, Ham, did you know that I have a cookbook? Isn't it called Start Here? Uh-huh. And isn't it the perfect introduction to people who want to improve their cooking and also for people who are interested in learning more about the science of why their food is the way it is? 
I think it's perfect for people who aren't foodies but are eaters. Wow, that's the exact market for this podcast. Mm -hmm. And I am on my West Coast tour right now. You can check me out in LA on January 25th and 28th, San Francisco, January 29th, Portland, January 31st, and Seattle for the grand finale on February 1st. Wow, what a tour. What a tour. For all the tour dates and more info, head over to my website, hellosola.com. Okay, let's get back to the show. So we've heard the story of hot tamales. Now it's time to head back to our kitchen to try some, which Charles Sledge shipped to us from Mississippi. Okay, Ham, what do we have here? So he sent his classic chicken tamales. The tamales were frozen inside of this bright red liquid, so I immediately saw the broth. Mm. And it is brick red. So I popped them in a pot, and I reheated them. As soon as I smell it, I smell cumin. Yeah. That's the main thing you smell. They're lovingly tied up in their corn husks, and I think they're ready to try. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right. Mm. The texture of the masa is pretty amazing. It's really delicate. It's really soft. It's pretty close to a perfect tamale batter. The masa from boiling is so tender. When I think of the perfect Mexican tamale, I love it when it's like covered in lard. This feels like a lot lighter because of that simmering. It's like totally seasoned all the way through and you get like a big hit of cumin at the core in the chicken. But it's definitely, this is definitely a spoon eating tamale. Yes. So you aren't making tamales now, you're making something inspired by these Delta tamales. I am. So I kind of went in an interesting direction. Tamales came from Mexico to the Mississippi Delta where they turned it into Delta tamale. I'm going back in the other direction. So I'm taking the Delta tamale and taking it back to Mexico. I focused on the broth and made a broth seasoned with a lot of cumin, some paprika, garlic powder, um, fresh garlic and onions, and I hit it with a little Mexican touch. I used some chipotle chilies to so add a little bit of smoke and a little bit more heat. So these are, this is a hot, hot broth. It's a hotter tamale. It's a hotter tamale. And since Charles likes to cook his, his masa directly in the broth, there's this Oaxacan masa dumpling called chochoyones, which is basically just masa seasoned with a little bit of fat and some salt, and then you roll them into balls make a little divot in them with a stick, and then you poach them in some liquid. We're putting the broth front and center here. So here we, here we got our chochoyones. What do you say? They look, they're like little balls with a divot in them. Yeah, I like to think of them as Mexican matzo balls. My broth is simmering right now, and I'm just gonna plop my chochoyones into the simmering broth. The chochoyones are like one of my favorite things. And it has such a long, intimidating name, but it's like the easiest dumpling you can make. It's so easy. You just need ma masarina, water, and some oil. So our chochoyones have simmered. They've inflated a bit, so they're, so they're fully cooked. So before you added the chochoyone, it was just like broth. And now it's like, it's more opaque, a little thickened. It kind of has the texture of a tortilla soup. Mm -hmm. That's all the masa. They hydrated in the soup, thickening it. So make sure you stir it up. Get all that avocado, cilantro, and raw onion throughout the soup. 
and give it a taste. See if it needs more lime. Oh, it's spicy. That chipotle kick in the back of the throat. It's really good. Like the broth, the broth right now tastes like a hot tamale. That was so cool getting to taste a piece of the Mississippi Delta. Definitely. And there's something else Charles told me that made it even more special. He sees Fat Daddy's as a lot more than a business. He's carrying on the hot tamale tradition. It's going to die out if don't nobody keep it, yeah. you know, because all the people that made them, they gone, man. They they either dead or too old to make them now. So, And a lot of the kids, they not trying to sit at home and make no tamales. You know, they want to be on the Internet and... YouTube and out in the street. So, yeah, it's going it's going a lot of southern cooking is going to die out. Keeping the Delta Tamale alive is so important to him that he has broken that like unspoken code of keeping your recipe secret. So, anyone oh, who asks them, that. yeah, anyone who asks them how to make a Delta Tamale, he will walk them through the process. He'll tell them everything that goes in it. When somebody asks me how to make a tamale, I teach them. I tell them how to make it. I don't tell them how to make mine, but I teach them how to make theirs. Yeah. <laughs> so I put them in the I put them in the ballpark, man, of them making a good tamale, but it won't be my tamale. I see. I love that because a lot of these dishes die out because people are so protective over their secret recipe, and then it's just it's what happens when you die. It's gone. Share your family. Aunties, recipes. we're talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I don't think there's a point in gatekeeping a recipe because ultimately if you are like the delta tamale master no one can take that from you most people think that the secret behind the dish is the recipe no but that's yeah. never the case the secret behind any dish is the hands that make it special thanks to charles sledge the tamale king you can find him at fat daddy's food truck on facebook if you want the recipe for my chochoyones, we'll be posting that on Instagram. You can find me on Instagram at Hamagram. And I'm at Sola E. We'll be back on Thursday with deep dish episode number two, a brief history of Korea as told through a rice cake. You'll be able to find it right here in the Sporkful feed. So be sure to go to the Sporkful show page in your podcasting app and follow or subscribe. That way you won't miss it. While you wait for that one, check out some other Sporkful episodes, like Dan's interview with cookbook author Yawande Komolafe. This episode was produced by Andres O'Hara. With help from Dan Pashman and Emma Morgenstern. Editing by Nora Ritchie and Camille Stanley. With help from Josh Richmond. Sound engineering by Jared O'Connell. Our executive producers are Dan Pashman, Nora Ritchie, and Colin Anderson. Original theme music by Casey Holford. And additional music from Black Label Music. Deep Dish is a production of Sporkful Media and Stitcher Studios. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Meet the next generation of podcast stars with Sirius XM's Listen Next program, presented by State Farm. 
As part of their mission to help voices be heard, State Farm teamed up with SiriusXM to uplift diverse and emerging creators. Tune in to Stars and Stars with Isa as host Isa Nakazawa dives into birth charts of her celeb guests. This is just the start of a new wave of podcasting. Visit statefarm.com to find out how we can help prepare for your future. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.